For more content and information, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za. This is Radio Days Africa 2021. Audio amplified. Download the Radio Days Africa app. Search Radio Days Africa in your app store. Hello, good afternoon and welcome to Radio Days Africa 2021. My name is Claire Mawisa and I'm the moderator for this session. It is the CEO session very important people. We're going to ask them some very important questions. If you want to make sure that you catch every session on the largest of the largest radio conference on the continent, make sure you go to radiodaysafrica.co.za. That's where all the podcasts of the past sessions um, have been and where you can find out more information about the sessions still to come. That's radiodaysafrica.co.za. I have to thank, have to have to thank the sponsors that make all of this possible. Uh, So the Conrad Adenauer Stiftung Media Program Sub-Sahara Africa, they've been a long-term partner for uh, Radio Days Africa, and we really do appreciate everything that they've done. Also, Radio Days Africa is proudly, proudly presented to you um, by Vitz Radio Academy under the auspices of the Department of Journalism, as well as our incredible, incredible supporters. So we are supported by the National Association of Broadcasters, Media Heads 360, Wise Buddha Jingled, the US Embassy in Pretoria, RCS Sound Software, Iono FM, Samro, and Podnews.net. As in every single Radio Days Africa session, you are most welcome to participate. So we'd love for you to send us a question if you have one to one of our CEOs. And if you want to send a voice note, please do so. The number to do so is plus two seven. Seven nine five two eight double zero double zero. That's where you can send your voice note to, or if you would just like to post your comment or, or put a question in the chat box, I'll try and get back to that uh, question near the end of the session. The CEOs in the hot seat this afternoon in the CEO session. Yes, get ready. Buckle up, guys. No, it's not going to be that tough. Uh, we've got all the way from Botswana, our next door neighbor there. We've got Kelly Ramputzwatali, who is the CEO for Yaruna FM. We have Nick Grubb, Kakiso Media Chief Executive of Radio, and Garayant Chris Williams, Prime Media Broadcasting Chairman and Group Chief Business Officer. Um, thank you so much for your time. I know you guys are very busy. I do really appreciate it. Um, unmute yourselves because I think one of the first things I want to ask, uh, I'll start with you, uh, Grind, um, is, I mean, we can't ignore what's going on in South Africa right now, especially what happened today. Uh, if people are not aware, three community stations were looted in the last 24 hours. Um, you know, it's, it's devastating for radio when that happens. Is there any, I mean, your thoughts, uh, your thoughts on that uh, and how it affects those uh, affected radio stations and communities? And is there any way that, communi- uh, that commercial radio stations can reach out and try and get those radio stations back on air? Well, I think, thank you, uh, first of all, for having me. I'm looking forward to the tough questions. I think, you know, as I joined and we were in the waiting room uh, to start this conversation, uh, I heard Nick and Kelly and everyone was talking about what can we do to help here. And I think that's the most important thing, uh, particularly the larger commercial players. I think we have got to find ways to help uh, stations like Alec FM, Alex FM get back on air. 
But, you know, I think it's, uh, it's also an important inflection point for radio and the communities that we serve, because ultimately that's what we're here to do. Uh, and I think it just shows the importance of radio right now during COVID times, during these times of national violence, which is so distressing to all of us, that we meet our responsibilities as broadcasters and provide up-to-date information, uh, provide news that is accurate. Uh, I think that's one of the advantages radio has is that uh, we're protected from fake news, given the integrity of, of our news platforms. And I think that's critical. So I think we've got to keep the nation up to date. We've got to keep our communities up to date. Uh, and we've got to support community radio stations in their endeavors as well. Is there anything you want to add on to that, Nick? I mean, when you heard about what had happened to those radio stations, what were your thoughts? Um, what was your first response? And is there any way that um, commercial can come together and help them out? Sure, thanks, Kate. <clears throat> um, absolutely. So we've uh, actually, if there's anyone online listening with contacts at Alex FM, we've been trying every number we can find um, via the NAB and various contacts to try and make contact so that we can assist them where we can to the extent that's possible. And we won't know until we until we understand exactly what their needs are. So, I mean, radio is a is a lifeline to communities, as Garan said. I, I think. For us, I mean, if we kind of, the chronology of today really has been predominantly to make sure that we're checking in on our staff. Um, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's hard to believe sitting in an office in Johannesburg that currently we have, you know, staff um, at East Coast Radio down in Durban who literally can't leave their homes. Um, they're worried about their personal security, food security, obviously. And so, so actually I have to say, you know, we will, of course, prioritize community stations. Our first port of call is to, is to the uh, safety and welfare of the people that work with us. Um, our second objective is to make sure that, that we are um, fulfilling um, our role as, as uh, connectors of the community and providing information and updates, uh, you know, as Garan said. And then, and then the third objective that we've agreed as a team is that we then need to, to utilize whatever connections and audiences and resources we have as a force for good at, at this kind of acute and very worrying time in South Africa. I mean, Kelly, we know that community radio stations play a very important role in disseminating information, uh, you know, and, and playing a big, powerful role in social cohesion. What role does commercial radio station have in that space? Um, you know, do commercial radio stations also have that mandate to play a role in social cohesion? Yeah, definitely, Kelly. Um, just to take you a little back, you know, uh, Botswana, we actually don't have community radio stations. Only recently, uh, we just licensed uh, our university, University of Botswana, the regulator um, licensed um, the University of Botswana. So a lot of the, you know, social cohesion that's been happening has been mandated in a lot more on our public sectors and commercial radio stations. And, and us here at Yaron FM, we've been doing um, quite a lot of that. We are a youthful radio station and uh, that is our core. So our mandate has always been to encourage the youth to ensure that um, we disseminate information to the youth, ensuring that we are the point of, of information um, point of dialogue, the point of opening up. You remember, radio is real. It's it's emotional. It's there to touch people's lives. So um, the social cohesion part, especially during this tough time, um, we've been doing that quite a lot. 
uh, our music content, for example, um, we've been taking in a lot more 50% of the local content to ensure that our youth have a platform to, to, to speak out and talk about what's going on in their lives on a day-to-day. We have also been um, seeing what's happening in South Africa. And uh, the first thing I was worried about is continuity. During this time of COVID, people listen to the radio station. I can only imagine um, what it might be like when radio stations are closed. Um, there's no sense of information, the panic, the chaos that's happening. So we try to do that. We try to be strong for the community here in, um, in, in Khabarone and national as, as a national broadcaster. So uh, yeah, we definitely are for the social cohesion, Claire. Thank you so much to those who have responded. Nick did request some contact details. So Brenda, thank you so much. And Adele, um, I, I see there that Nick and Garayant have actually responded and have acknowledged that. Uh, hopefully we can try and get Alex FM uh, back on air um, as soon as possible. And Garayant, I mean, in, the, in this time, just also rounding off current affairs, in this time of unrest, um, what role does radio, a commercial radio station, play in that social cohesion? Well, I think particularly talk radio stations have a, an opportunity and an obligation here to provide a platform to hear everybody's views, to disseminate information, to keep communities, to keep staff, uh, to keep newsrooms, journalists safe. Uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have eyewitness news in our stable. We've been very concerned about them as other journalists. And you've heard from Sanaf over the last couple of days as well. Uh, we're very supportive of their efforts. Um, I, so I think from a talk radio perspective, stations like 702 have an opportunity to really reach out and inform communities. But the commercial stations do too. So the, the music stations do too. Uh, and I think we have an opportunity here also to make sure that are, you know, you heard the president make reference to it and to call on people to stop spreading fake news, either unwittingly or intentionally, uh, whatever people's motivations are. And I think radio can do that very effectively and in real time. And it's the immediacy and that ability to create human connections and support people during these times that is so important. And Nick, I mean, we, we, we've been speaking a lot about, uh, I mean, I remember when we did radio days last year, everyone was like, oh my goodness, this COVID thing is happening. How has the role of radio changed, if at all, during this past year? And what's um, the role of radio post-COVID um, in the social landscape, you know? Um, what's radio's role? I think I, I, it's a... That's a very important topic. We, we, like for me, I, I think it starts with the fact that on a personal level, everybody in the last 18 months has really kind of come to grips with their own understanding of humanity and community and, and kind of coming to grips with that. And, and I, I, I mean, it's, I guess it's not a revelation. I, I, I think that, but, um, you know, if you, if you extrapolate the personal experiences that we're, that we're all having, and, uh, and, and the feeling that we really kind of all are interrelated and you pull and you, and they, you, you know, raise that up into a business context. What we've seen is the interconnectedness both of, of, of our staff themselves, the way that our presenters have been, have been impacted by this, how they use those experiences in order to build kind of real resonance and, and relationship and authentic kind of storytelling with their own communities and that that feedback comes back through digital tap channels. And then all the way through the value chain to the extent that 
you know, also that we realize that we're part of the same ecosystem as our clients, you know, and our direct clients and our, and our major clients. And, you know, in the last 24 hours, we've been dealing with, with obviously uh, cancellations or postponements or, uh, you know, marketing impact of what's happening around, around uh, you know, stores that have to close. And, and you realize that that empathy extends from, from the individual staff member right through to, to the way that you inter interact and understand the circumstances of our clients and the communities and environments in which they're operating. And, and so I guess what I'm saying is that I, I think radio has always been around real human relationships and authentic um, participation and understanding of that, but, but now more so than ever. And if you look at the statistics and see how radio's um, relevance in communities has, has increased actually over the last 18 months. I mean, the, the irony of our, of our business situation is as a, as a dual side of business model, we, we, we engage audiences and then we engage with clients to commercialize, you know, the, the, that relationship. The reality is that on the, you know, whilst the economy has been flat and this has been a dire time from a revenue perspective, I think radio's, um, uh, you know, the other side of the coin in terms of radio's relationship with people has been, has been uh, forged and uh, as deeper and stronger than it's ever been. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, and the stats certainly around digital engagement are bearing that out. Mm. Um, Kelly, I can't not have this conversation. We can't not talk about transformation, especially on your level in terms of media, people that are holding your position. Um, have you found that it's that transformation is moving as quickly as you'd like it to be? Are you finding that there's support for what you need to be doing at, in Yaruna? So just in Southern African perspective, when you look at your peers, is transformation happening? Are there channels for people um, to reach your level when it comes to uh, media and broadcasting? Oh, yeah. Um, looking at Southern Africa, looking in Botswana and Africa as a whole, I think the transformation can be better, um, especially with having more uh, female CEOs. I was very uh, fortunate um, working in where I am, where we're very big on transformation. For example, I was the first female CEO at, at Yarn FM, and I've been there now for about five years, going on six years. And my management team, there's actually 50% male, 50% female. And even when you look down at the junior staff, it's about around maybe a safe 45 to 55 uh, to male and female ratio. And, and not only that, we're very big on, as I said, development um, across all board. We have institutions, we have um, programs that ensure that we develop our staff, we develop uh, and ensure we partner with institutions from universities that are big on, on broadcasting and ensuring it develop all around. It can be better. Uh, I do wish it's something that could also transform um, and be discussed up to government level, up to regulator level, and just to ensure that holistically as a country, our transformation is there. Um, the, the painful reality uh, with COVID is it also taught us to think outside, you know, uh, to be more resilient and to ensure that we're working smart. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, Claire, there is so much to do. There's still so much to do. There are organizations that are trying, but there is still so much to do. Yeah. I'm going to stay with you, Kelly, and just ask about, I mean, in your space in Botswana, you know, in terms of research and development, where are you doing your information? How are you doing your R&D? And how does that inform uh, your strategy? I, I think 
um, you know, your resources might be a bit different to ours. I'll, I'll pose the question to Nick and, and Grind, but I'd like, like to know from you, yeah. in terms of R&D, how, how are you going about that? It, it's, it's very tough um, uh, getting a lot of research done uh, in Botswana. For instance, we've been relying on research that's been done by a regulator, but it's so far out. For example, the research is done probably every four years and you know how fast radio moves on a day-to-day and you and you know the, the the clientele the listeners they change on a day-to-day so that research is quite outdated at times by the time uh, we try to use it in terms of you know return on investment in terms of getting sales um, so what we ended up doing internally we now do our own research so we've got organizations and companies that we have um, employed and ensuring that they do the research for us on a quarterly basis we do wish it could be done a lot more because as i said the times are changing every day every week is so different the taste the likes now with COVID, things are different what people used to want back in the day is no longer the same so the strategy, what we've been doing is reviewing it annually and ensuring that does it speak to us? Does it translate to what we're trying to do on a day-to-day basis? One of the biggest impacts that have happened to our strategy is also seeing that during these COVID times, does our strategy strategy speak to our current times? And, and that's where the research came in. And we've been doing a lot more research to speak to our clientele, to speak to our, to our um, suppliers, to speak to everyone all around and our key stakeholders. So it does play a big role, play. it does, yeah. And, and Garant, do you also have you, do you also have your internal R&D um, or are you relying on outside sources? How does that work and how does that also, the results from that R&D, how does that inform the strategy? Yeah, I think it's a crucial part of how we run our business and making much more data-led programming decisions as well as commercial decisions. Like Kelly, we've invested in our own team that's headed up by Deborah Skierpers and, and uh, uh, Melissa McNally. And the focus there is, is twofold, right? So obviously it informs our programming, our on-air content strategies to make sure that we're giving listeners what they want uh, and the content that they want to engage in and also making sure that our advertisers have opportunities to meld their brand messaging and advertising messaging into our online uh, and on-air programming. And I say online because I think digital is a very important part of this conversation. I think terrestrial broadcasters now, out of necessity, must diversify their content across other platforms. And it is more the digital platforms that give us those insights, give us the psychographic uh, insights into our audiences and our users that allows us then to adapt our strategy. So I think that's absolutely spot on. I agree with, uh, with how Ke- Kelly was characterizing this. I think in addition to that, you know, it's uh, a lot of work has been done um, by the BRC um, and the NAB to make sure that there's a new currency that will come online. I think the first one in October, the new uh, currency will come online in October. Uh, and then, you know, from a prime media point of view, uh, Deborah and the team also built out Audioscope and our internal station dynamics and reporting. And really what that gives us is the sense of how listeners are experiencing our presenters and our shows. Uh, and, and that's really important because I think you can't afford to broadcast and to operate in a vacuum. Uh, and you've got to have as much input into these strategies as, as you can. So I agree. I think these investments, you've got to make more and more. And I think we've got to be more and more accountable to our audiences, uh, but also to our advertisers who are going to want to know how 
effective these channels are from an advertising point of view. Nick Grant mentioned digital. So I just want to like maybe just take a leaf out of that and talk about uh, digital audio broadcasting, DAB Plus. Is that an opportunity or missed opportunity? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, unmute yourself. Ah, after a year, Nick, people are being told to unmute I themselves. I know, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's because I got a squeaky chair, you know. I, I don't <laughs> want to keep it. <laughs> um, I, I, I think, you know, when you say digital, uh, my, my mind goes immediately to, to uh, digital audio and streaming and, ad, and digital insertion, uh, you know, ad insertion technology and those kind of things. Um, I mean, DAB, uh, DAB Plus, it, it's, uh, it's, it's been legislated now. There's been trials that have been ongoing for some time. Um, we are a bit behind the curve in terms of, of uh, you know, kind of formal adoption uh, dates and programs. We're still trying to find out things like, for example, tariffs from Centex. So, you know, there's still quite a lot of, of understanding that needs to happen, but it's a thing and it's, and it's, and it's uh, you know, there's been a bandwidth allocated for it. And, and it's going to be something that the, the, the radio um, environment is going to embrace, um, you know, whether, whether willingly or not. I mean, I think the, the reality is that we, we recognize that, that there will be a certain amount of uptake. And, and I guess any media company interested in reaching consumers, wherever they may be on whatever device they may use, you know, should, should, at, least, should at least look at it as a technology of interest. Um, I'm not sure that it's a silver bullet um, by any means. I don't, I, I don't anticipate it's going to uh, lead to, to great returns. Um, you know, it, it doesn't offer the consumer a whole lot more apart from a you know, slightly bit of fidelity and, uh, and, and, a, screen and a slideshow. Um, you know, so so I, think, I think that you will find that people will increasingly engage through either digital channels, um, uh, kind of through streaming audio rather than DAB. But it's but it's something that as a as a broadcast industry we uh, you know we, we will we will get on board with DAB when it uh, when it rolls out. We just need to be mindful of some of the, the logistical implications of that, and, and we're busy trying to understand all of that detail at the moment. Kelly, are there any technological issues or issues around technology that perhaps pose uh, challenges to your growth that you think? Uh, so you might have grand ideas, you might have a strategy in place, but do you have challenges when it comes to technology and what are those challenges if there are? Yeah, definitely. Um, let's just talk in, in, in terms of expansion plan, expanding through to the rest of the country. Expanding is quite expensive. Um, the technology um, is quite expensive. We're now using fiber to broadcast um, a lot more around Botswana, but there's certain places where the fiber hasn't arrived. So that will take time. That's another cost. Um, and also let's just talk about all the technology that's out there. For example, the streaming, if you want to stream us and you want to catch us online, data costs, those are expensive. But uh, from all the conversations I've been seeing and having a lot of talks with um, other broadcasters in the in the broadcasting community is data costs are quite expensive all across Africa. So those are some of the issues we are um, going through, especially now taking events online. We've got our flagship events, which is the RNFM Music Awards. It's now online. You know, getting a lot of people there physically had been great in the past, but to have a lot of people log on to ensure the data costs are less, to ensure the show is packaged in such a way that it doesn't take uh, too long. So when you're trying to expand, trying to do things differently, trying to reach the community, 
there's a lot of expenses that you need to think about. And that's the thing with um, technology. It's supposed to reduce and make sure our lives are easier, but it's it can be quite costly at times. So those are some of the challenges we're going through. Yeah. And Claire, I mean... Yeah. Thank you, Grant. Yeah. Okay. Just to add, I mean, I agree. And if you look at, you know, in South Africa, uh, around the world, obviously, I mean, DAB um, cars, you know, capable of receiving DAB signals are on the rise all the time. Uh, I agree with Nick and Kelly. I mean, I think, you know, streaming may have leapfrogged uh, DAB plus to some extent. Um, but I think as terrestrial broadcasters, I mean, I guess our challenge is we've got to be on as many platforms as possible with our content. That's the reality, you know, and I think that we've got to evolve. So as Nick said, I think we've got to embrace all of them because if we don't take up the prime spots on those dashboards, believe me, the tech giants will, uh, you know, and we'll get crowded out. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about policy and regulation, things that we all love so much. Um, <laughs> as Nick smiles, you know, um, the current situation where we are in terms of policy and regulation, does that enable us to grow? Does, uh, does that not enable us? Where are our sticking points there, Nick? Uh, thanks, Claire. I mean, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of aspects. We're a very, very highly regulated industry. Um, and that was arguably uh, right and appropriate at the beginning of the kind of commercial broadcast industry um, uh, growth in the, in the mid to early 90s. But uh, given that our competitors now are not the radio stations down the road, but our competitors are, are big tech and, uh, and digital platforms and, and uh, you know, all of these, even in this country, um, you know, kind of uh, satellite television and their ability to get reach and, and low rates and competing. You know, we, we, we're at a situation where, um, you know, the, the, the regulatory environment is, is definitely constrictive to, to growth. Um, I, I think the, the focal point for us, and there are many aspects to that which we won't have time to get into today, I guess, but for me, the focal point is around the ability to, um, uh, to own and operate uh, no more than two FM licenses. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's an archaic regulation. Again, it was appropriate at the time when we were divvying up the, you know, the, to, 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 to empower um, new players in the market um, with access to public frequencies, you know, that was, that was right and proper. But now the situation is we've got a, we're a mature industry. We're not, we're not experiencing um, the growth rates that we experienced before. Those of us that are experiencing any growth um, whatsoever. Um, and, and the only way that there will be continued investment um, into the sector is if we're allowed to, to buy more stations and kind of, and for the, for the broadcast uh, operators who specialize in that to be able to apply their skills across more and more formats and, and into more territories. So at the moment, it's extremely constrictive. And, and, and I, would, I dare say that if it persists like this, and government has published the white paper on audio um, visual content services, and they're making uh, the positive noises there around deregulating, which, would, which is very encouraging. But we just don't know how long that process Will take, and I would, I would, I would venture that it's that it's actually extremely urgent for the health and sustainability of the broadcasting sector that some of the concepts in that white paper are are accelerated and then adopted into law. I see you've commented there, Grant. Do you want to expand on that uh, the comment that you've just put in the chat? Yeah, I, I, look, I think what's really important here, I think we have to increase the amount of self-regulation in our industry. 
I think we have to be very careful, first of all, not to assume that, you know, this is only a CASA's responsibility and the CCC's responsibility. I think as industry operators, uh, we need to come together and accept that there does need to be a level playing field in terms of uh, how licenses and formats and so on are managed in this country. Otherwise, uh, it will cause the deterioration of the revenue and the, the uh, radio environment in South Africa. So I think, you know, first and foremost, the level playing field means everybody must adhere to their license conditions. Um, I think what ICASA can do, as Nick has already touched on, is, is loosen uh, the regulatory shackles in South Africa. I think from a foreign ownership point of view, also in terms of the number of FM licenses one operator can, can control. And I think that's what drives, to Kelly's earlier point, transformation in the industry, which still needs to be accelerated. We must make space for new entrepreneurs to, to come into the radio environment in this country uh, for more black ownership in radio, but that requires um, a more nimble uh, and a more agile regulatory environment for all of us to thrive in. And Kelly, what's your, what's your regulatory environment, if you could share that in Botswana? Um, there are some challenges, but uh, overall, I think our regulator is a very understanding regulator. Um, we do have a lot of engagements, in, for example, quarterly. We do engage with them every quarterly about the challenges we are having on a day-to-day. -day. Uh, the regulator also has given us... Um, expansion plans. For example, there are areas that we can't broadcast um, at because they're too remote and, you know, just affording to put our, our sites there is quite costly. And the regulator actually does um, come up with initiatives in ensuring that we bring radio to the people and everyone out there. There are aspects uh, that the regulator can do better, for example, in terms of research, um, also in regulating public broadcasters. Those are not regulated fully like us. And also um, assisting us in some of the ICT issues that we go through. For example, um, working from home a lot more now for most of the staff um, and ensuring that our internet costs go down and things like that. But in terms of them on a receptive engagement, com you know, um, communicating, they are there, they are quite there and they are open to advice, which I truly do like and enjoy in that part. Um, we have a platform where you literally can state what is wrong. And whenever they do draft certain policies that come up, uh, we are given a chance to respond formally. There's a draft. We sit together. You know, we we, we send back our responses. Um, so I think in that accord, the regulator is trying in terms of communicating. I do wish there could be a little bit more expansion, as I stated, with maybe community radio stations. But I'm so happy we have a university radio stations because for us, it helps us in development. We have a bigger pool to take the talent when they finish and then they join us. So in that aspect, I am truly happy with our regulator. Yeah. Um, talking about talent, I think one of the, the questions that always come up in a Radio Days Africa conference year after year is where, how commercial radio stations, how seriously they take talent development. So this is uh, something for all of you. I'll start with you, Nick. I mean, you know, is talent development taken seriously uh, and what is being done in practical terms? 
I think so. I'm going to take talent development across. You know, a lot of people refer to it just as presenting staff. Uh, you know, and I think that that uh, you know we need to have a broad view of what talent is. I, I mean, simplistically, what I what I've said a lot um, over the last few years is that compelling people make compelling broadcasting. Um, and and so you know you've got to empower people as much as possible with uh, with, with with as much training and development and access. To, to different perspectives as possible in order to kind of develop their worldview because people with great worldviews are able to engage and resonate and build relationships. And, th and that applies as much to the people behind the scenes as the people on air. I mean, as far as the, the, the on-air talent is concerned, I mean, I, th I think all the major players uh, are engaged in some level of, of talent identification and development um, through coaching and ongoing, uh, you know, uh, ongoing training and, uh, and engagement with, with personalities. I mean, typically we, we see that, that the, the tenure of presenters uh, within our group seems to be fairly, fairly long. And I think that that's pleasing because I think it's, you know, radio is a craft. It takes time to perfect it. It's not, I don't believe you can go to a school for three months and come out Kind of as a as a cookie cutter presenter, you need you, you need you need to you need to learn. You need to be in an environment where you can make mistakes. You need to be in an environment where where those mistakes can be can be workshopped and and you can kind of look at a particular situation and and look at how you know it could have been done differently or better and so on over time. Um, and now these days across all, all all sorts of new platforms. I mean, I think the job of a program manager now is a lot more complicated than when I used to fill um, that position. So, so, so talent development is, is, uh, is a critical component and, and I think that it's, it's something that uh, all of the major players will be investing. Um, and, and you'll find that you know, the big names are, are in broadcasting, not just because uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism uh, around the fact that you know, it seems to just be moving, chess, moving the, the deck chairs um, you know, from one radio station to the other. But I think that it's important to note that people with experience who built up that, that kind of lifelong craft, you know, th those are in, are in short supply. And, uh, and, and those, those people are, are at the top of the, of, the, um, of the broadcast industry and in those premier slots because they've spent a lot of time and effort and they deserve to be there, you know, because it, it's one thing to have talent, but it's another that you've got to apply a lot of experience to that talent in order to, to kind of to understand how to, how to engage with people meaningfully um, in, in a time slot, you know, every single day and do that consistently. And Grant, you know, in terms of talent development, I agree with what Nick is saying. A lot of people perceive it just as, you know, you're just shuffling the deck of cars from one radio station to another. Are we thinking long term when we're thinking talent development? Are we taking it seriously? I mean, I presume your question is probably more through the lens of our on-air presenters. Uh, Although, you know, my behind the scenes, you know, I, I like the fact that Nick has opened it up a bit and for us to think a bit broader when it comes to talent. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm always wary of the competition commission, but Nick and I seem to agree on a, on a significant amount during, during this discussion. You know, I, I had a, issued an edict in the business about a year ago to say, please stop using the term talent in our business because it's historically always been used only to, to describe presenters. We have an enormous number of talented people in our business, and many of them, of course, are not on air and not part of that. I'm, I'm sure Kelly's in the same position. So... Yeah, we, uh, I mean, obviously it's a commercial imperative to make sure that we've got uh, the very best presenters on air uh, and that we're developing our bench strength in that regard. And that, that is an obvious commitment and investment that we make. 
uh, but it spans the rest of our business. And to the earlier discussion around transformation, you know, we're, we're very committed to transforming uh, our business, but also transforming it not only from a gender and from a racial point of view, but also in terms of diversity of thought and diversity of opinion, which is so important in the radio context. Uh, and that requires investment, that, that requires us supporting uh, students out there and giving them a path to work experience in Prime Media, which is, of course, you know, I think we've probably all been in that position once in our lives when someone has said, well, you don't have enough experience. And we're saying, well, how on earth do I get the experience? Uh, so I think we have a role to play, and I think we have a responsibility there. Uh, so, so I agree, uh, and it's, it's, it's particularly acute in this country, uh, and I think particularly germane now, given the enormous levels of unemployment in this country uh, and the lack of, of, of accessibility of workplace experience to people. And Kelly, I mean, you, you, you did mention your partnership with the university um, for, I think you were referring to on air, but what about your other practitioners that make the radio run? You know, where are you finding them? How are you developing them? You know, just share a little bit about that. Now, 100%. So wearing the hat of the CEO, you have to balance everybody, the on air side and um, the back office side, if I could call it that. And um We've been very fortunate here at the RNF and we've partnered up with other universities too that have given us finance courses, risk courses, and other managerial courses. Um, we've partnered up with another university um, that has given master's degree to two media and journalists that we, we work with. So we've been very fortunate in the last years, in the last couple of years, that even our other staff outside the presenters are getting the same opportunities but what we've also discovered is when we run our on-air um, program also looking for new talent uh, we call it game changes the number of new talent that is unearthed that we see is amazing because it ensures our continuity plan and i like what you said clear uh, radio is not a 15 minute or a three month program it's continuous and it's amazing to see how these guys from this program, the Game Changers, are simulating into week shows, uh, midweek shows, and the growth that comes with that. So the hat of a CEO is quite complex. You literally have to balance everybody from the finance to the sales team to the marketing and ensure that everybody develops in a, in a fast way also, and also ensuring your succession plan. The, the point is the succession plan because you don't want to be caught out. Yeah, you don't want to be caught out. <laughs> so definitely on our end. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. Succession whole, planning yeah. in radio. <laughs> no, uh, it is. And, and it's not overnight. It's continuous. You know, I've been uh, in my seat for five years going on six as I said, and the succession plan, it's something that you're continuously developing. Uh, continuously working with HR, continuously see, um, checking, um, you know, psych your psychometrics, just to see what the level of somebody is when you move one person to the next level. Can they fit? What you know? What do they need? Can you develop them? It's continuous. Yeah. This is the CEO session on Radio Days Africa 2021. Uh, I'm inviting you now to please put your questions into the chat uh, function. Uh, if you want to do that, I'll get to your questions shortly. Or if you do want to send a voice note, ask one of our CEOs a question, please do so. The number is plus two seven seven nine five two eight. 
0000. Send your question uh, to one of our CEOs and I'll get to them. I've just got one more question for myself and then we're going to go into our chat box. So, so make sure that you get your questions in there. Now let's talk money, 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 money. We are commercial. Um, is there a revenue cap, Nick? And have we reached it? Is there a, a limit? And have we reached that limit? Mm. You know, in, in a word, clear, yes. I, I think that there is. I, I think that, you know, the, the future of radio is, is uh, very bright when we consider the relationships. You know, this, this, uh, this often heard thing that, you know, kids don't listen to the radio anymore, or that, you know, radio is a declining medium. It's, it's just, you know, there are changes within younger demographics in terms of accessing radio and perhaps some of the time they spend with radio and those kind of things. But on the audience side... Radio is enduring, and in fact, in, 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 at times like this, in these acute kind of uh, situations like COVID, even strengthening in terms of, of its relevance to audiences. But the, the revenue side is where the challenge sits. The reality is that the global advertising pie and the South African advertising pie is only so big. It's not growing at a rapid rate, and there are now many, many, many more slices um, you know, coming out of that pie to, to different uh, uh, kind of platforms. And as a CMO, you know, you're spreading your budget thinner and thinner and thinner across a range of new, um, or, or a range of new options. I mean, I would, I, would, uh, I would love that people continue to prioritize radio, but I think that the reality that we have to face is that, you know, we are a mature market. Uh, uh, the, the big commercial players in South Africa are post-growth. And uh, at least in terms of the, the analog, the FM kind of business model. And we are all, it's incumbent on all of us to try and find those, those consolidation opportunities or those adjacent business models that are going to drive growth um, for us. And because it's not, it's not going to come from our traditional radio businesses. They're going to remain strong. They're going to remain healthy and relevant to audiences. But, uh, but growth is where, our, is, is where the challenge sits. Listen, Grant, a lot of people salivate just thinking of the budgets that you work with. So tell us about the revenue. Have you ever not made a profit, Grant? Have you ever not yeah. made a profit? Yeah. And have you the cap? Tell us, tell us. We look at Prime Media and we're like, whoa, hey, it must be nice. You know, I, 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 I'm sorry to hear that, uh, that Nick has reached his revenue peak. We're not there. Uh, <laughs> we don't think we've reached our revenue peak yet. Uh, we think that there's, uh, there's still some work to do and there's still some opportunity. Um, but seriously, I, I, look, I, I mean, where I do agree with Nick is this is about diversifying your platforms and making sure that you can uh, make your terrestrial content available and relevant on other platforms. So if you just think about podcasting, it hasn't even begun to experience the, the type of growth that it will and the revenue opportunities that will come with that. Uh, and, and that is about repurposing a lot of the, the content that, you, that we have on the air. So we think that those are opportunities. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the spend going to digital should be repurposed to radio and can be repurposed to radio. You know, radio is the only medium, and, and Deborah Skippers was saying this to me, and I think put it really well, that, you know, really is ad fraud free, um, that is fake news free, uh, that can't be interrupted. Um, and I think it's, it's compelling for those reasons. I think we have a challenge as a radio industry, as a sector, we need to make a stronger and more overt case for radio. Uh, and I know that that's one of the discussions that the NAB is having at the moment. So I think that we have a, a sector job to do, and then each of us have our own commercial job to do 
uh, you know, for our individual radio platforms. But we've got to make sure that radio remains relevant uh, and that it remains front of mind. And I, I don't think that we're doing perhaps as much as we should do uh, in that regard. And just to follow up on that, I mean, is radio going to follow the same direction as the print sector? Will shareholders basically have to be satisfied with tighter margins, Grant? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we do need to be pragmatic. Uh, and I think it's incumbent on, on all of us who, who lead these businesses and for the management teams uh, uh, within them to diversify uh, and to find new opportunities for growth and to find new opportunities to innovate. Um, so that's certainly what we're very focused on from a prime media point of view is innovating and coming up with new ways to solve advertiser problems and new ways to impart compelling content to our listeners, because that's what it's all about. I mean, in an on-demand world, you know, people have to have a reason to tune in or have to have a reason to download. And that's where we're going as a business. And that's what we're very focused on. Um, so I think, you know, our shareholders are very committed to the business, are very supportive of the business. Uh, I mean, it is true that, you know, radio's share of total ad spend in this country is higher than elsewhere in the world, and that contains risk for us, and we need to be very cognizant of that. Um, but I think that it's still a very lucrative and very attractive sector, provided you continue to pivot and you're agile in your approach. Is there still room for growth, Kelly, uh, when it comes to revenue? Is there still, are you still looking for new opportunities, new ways? Yeah, I'll have to agree with Nick a lot more there uh, than Garen, but I do agree there. Um, we have to direct revenue, um, conventional revenue that we've been getting um, is getting to a point where it's, it's, it's quite tight. However, we need to think outside the box. We need to come up with smart partnerships, smart ideas that we use radio as the fundamental aspect, but being on multiple platforms, so that one I do agree. We have to be smart now in how we do things. Um, we've seen quite a lot in other radio stations, including here also in Botswana, where we have uh, your awards, your cycling challenges, and they're all broadcasted on air. So that's where the basis is. So we have to think outside the box. When I was looking um, the other day watching TV and uh, uh, Richard Branson had, had gone in his Galactica, and I'm thinking, if that was also on air, if we had it on our platforms, it was live on our digital pages, we had partnered up with the likes of, let's say, Red Bull, these extreme sports, and and just had something there, or he was wearing um, our Yaron FM logo inside as he was going up. These are the partnerships that radio has to look into. We have to literally think outside the box. In terms of if radio will get to the point of print, I don't think so. Um, radio is very strong. Very, radio is is very, how do I put it? it? It connects real time. Radio is there during the tough times. Radio is there during the happy times. Just think about during these tough times, most of the thing that you would do is listen to the radio. So I think it'll take a long time for radio to be impacted to a point of, of closure, to a point of, of going through what's going through at print. So we're still there. We're just in different multiple platforms. Yeah. Going to the questions. This one is uh, from Michael Bauer. Thank you so much for the question, Michael. Uh, he directs the question to Nick and Garand. He says, what is Prime Media and Kakiso's stance and opinion on Classic FM being taken over by Hot 91 
4.9. Anyone want to go first? <laughs> no, I, can, I don't mind um, taking that. I think the, the, I mean, it was reported in the media yesterday. Um, so it's no, it's no um, secret that we've, we've lodged an objection. But I think just in terms of clarifying the stance. So, so Classic FM, and I used to work with Classic FM. I think it's a, a, a great format, a great station in terms of offering a diversity of options for listeners. But I totally understand that the Classic format hasn't been sustainable. And, and it's a commercial station. It needs to make money. It hasn't it's been unable to make money because it hasn't been able to, to draw the kind of levels of listenership that that would make it a viable option. So it was necessary that Classic FM needs to, to reformat. Um, I think, I don't think anybody would, uh, would disagree. I think, uh, and so our stance, I mean, our, our stance, it's, it's, not, it's not particularly um, salacious, I have to say. It's just that the process that was adopted um, from our understanding of the situation, and these are things that we're still waiting for in a CASA position in terms of how the process, um, uh, you know, what the license amendment process was, um, it seems that some of the requests in the license amendment didn't make much sense to us. It seemed that um, the, you know, the resultant format that was licensed doesn't seem to be the one that the current operators are saying that they are, that they are um, uh, you know, it's not the template against which they are, they are um, currently broadcasting, including the, the name change. I don't know whether the fault there is with the current operators or if it's an ACASA issue, but, and these things we're trying to understand through following those channels. So, so we've, we've, we've registered our, our concerns around it. Um, we are in the process of registering those concerns through the channel to the um, uh, Complaints Commission at ACASA, um, but it's really around technical, uh, uh, the technical process that's been followed and to make sure that, uh, that the license uh, conditions that we all adhere to as commercial broadcasters are, are, are adhered to by, by all operators in the marketplace. You know? It's not just about hot changing into expanding a footprint and moving it into this, uh, this different broadcast infrastructure. It's about Hot 91 was a community radio station or at least needed to be a community radio station. You know, and this is a commercial license and, and the, there are a lot of uh, regulations that pertain to, you know, I mentioned before, we think that those regulations sometimes are very onerous, but the reality is as a commercial operator, you need to operate with a lot more license conditions and you need to conform to those license conditions. And we need to make sure that whoever comes in, you know, to take over that frequency is cognizant of that and is adhering to that. So, you know, that's, that's where we sit. Yeah. yeah, I, I, you know, just to, so I think the really important thing here is just, it comes back to the question around the regulation of the industry as a whole. Uh, and I think, you know, I hope that all radio operators in this country are committed to operating in terms of their license conditions. And I think from a prime media perspective, what we want to see is just, an environment in which everybody complies with the same set of laws. And that sounds like such a, a simple request, but as we know in this country, uh, sometimes that's not the case. And I think for investors, uh, for shareholders making investment into radio in this country, if we want this industry to remain viable, if we want to continue to employ people and to solve some in our own little way, some of the unemployment challenges in this country, and to provide platforms for everybody to express their opinion and opinions and so on. It's got to be sustainable. And for it to be sustainable, 
there must be a level playing field. And a level playing field to me means we all abide by the same set of rules, the same set of laws, uh, and comply with our license conditions. And to the extent that any operator doesn't do that, I think they should be taken to task. Thank you so much for that. The next question comes from King Solomon Ngubeni for you, Kelly. Who comes first in the list of priorities as a CEO of a commercial station, listeners or advertisers? <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the listeners, and I'll tell you why. That, those are the people we are selling. We are in the business of selling our listeners. You know, when you, when you go and approach a client, you need to show them what it is you're selling. So therefore, we are selling the, the clientele that we have. We show them that they have um, disposable income. We show that they are between this age. We show them that they're degree holders. We are selling our listenership, and that is what we're in the business of. Um, but internally, our staff obviously come first because they're the reason why we have that listenership. So our listeners definitely come first because that's what we're selling to our advertisers. Mpoto Teng has got so many questions for you, Kelly. I'm just going to see if I can answer one or pose one or two. Um, so basically, she wanted to know how has COVID-19 affected Yaruna, both negatively and positively, perhaps. Um, and... Uh, do you believe there is freedom of expression in the commercial radio station set up in Botswana? Do you know Mpo? She's hey Mpo. Those questions. Um, <laughs> um, no, uh, but I can see quite a lot of questions. But I can take them through. I'll take them through one by one. Um, I'll take the first one, which says, "How has COVID nineteen affected Yarone FM, both negatively and positively, in terms of clientele?" It's no secret. Um, COVID nineteen has affected most, if not all, business um, around the world. I think there's a few avenues or industries that are making money. Your retail, I hear insurance and telecommunications. But the bigger pie, everybody's affected by COVID. Even if um, you're not affected a lot, you're still making some form of losses. So on our end, um, the first thing that people let go of is advertising. So that has definitely negatively affected us in terms of our revenue. We've had to reduce our spend, our expenses. It's really been quite tough. But on the positive side, it has taught us to think outside the box, you know, um, thinking, making sure that you have a smaller team doing a lot more, um, ensuring that we can work anywhere. Right now, if you can see my background, I'm actually working from home this week. So it, it, has, it has evolved how we think. We're now more about, output based than seeing someone every day on an eight to five or every time at work. We're now all about how we're working, working smart, um, ensuring that the unnecessary expenditure is reduced. So that's what we, we've been um, positively enhanced in terms of Yarn FM. Then they go on to say, as a commercial radio station, have you seen an influx or deflation in terms of revenue? Oh, definitely, I did touch up on that. Uh, there's, it's, a, it's a deflation. Um, in revenue. Do you believe there's a freedom of expression in the commercial radio station setup in Botswana? Whoa, <laughs> what a tough question. <laughs> um, it, like in any place in the world here in Botswana, I think there is some form of freedom of expression, but a freedom of expression is limited for when you now trample on other people's rights. So we have a code that we follow. We also follow the law. We also follow uh, 
um, a broadcaster's code. So I think in majority, there is a freedom of expression, especially for us, as I said, we are a youthful radio station, so we get to express ourselves quite a bit. But now when it comes to now trampling on other people's rights, um, I think there should be some form of limitation and we have to do it fairly. Um, looking at the broadcasting code, ensuring we get both sides of the stories and there are ways to follow. So I think there is some form of freedom of expression um, in the radio sector. Um, are there any regulations that stifle uh, freedom of expression? Is there room for improvement in that area? Um, I think, yes. So this one is an, it's also an open book. Um, unlike most countries, we can't do advertising during political campaigns. Only in the last elections did were we allowed to take in some form of advertising during that time. So I think for me, that dialogue should be opened up a little bit more where we can take in political party advertising. I do understand the limitation that some parties are small, they may not have the budgets, I do understand. But I think uh, with the regulator, with the government, we should come together and speak a little bit more on that, where there's a little bit of expenditure around the, uh, the times during politics. So I think those are the times where I'd like a lot more improvement, definitely. Just for the purposes of the podcast, I know you've answered the question in the chat, Grant, but um, Brenda Leonard, she did ask a question about the sustainability of community uh, media sector, that it is a huge challenge. She asked for advice that you would give the station managers at uh, community broadcasters to ensure their success. Um, I know you've answered it quite well in there, but could you maybe just do it for, for uh, podcast purposes? So let me precursor my answer by I, I have no qualifications and I'm probably, you know, they're probably better people to ask, but it would seem to me if I were running a community radio station, uh, the first place I would go to try and generate revenue is to local smaller businesses. I think community radio stations can play a niche role there. They're embedded in the communities. Uh, I think that they can, they can, uh, call on their communities to support their local businesses and their local traders. So I, I would develop that. But I also, I would reach out to the bigger commercial players. Um, you know, we're not in competition uh, and where community radio stations are playing such a vital role uh, in providing some of the glue in their organizations. I think that I would approach the bigger commercial players to help utilize and piggyback off some of their resources, particularly their on-air programming and content uh, resources. So for instance, you know, we're looking at making eyewitness news available to some community radio stations, as an example. Uh, and I think that, uh, that those are the two things I would look at first if I was station manager of a community radio station. Lady and gentlemen, that's it for our time for the CEO session. Thank you once again for spending some time with us and answering your questions. Uh, thank you, everyone, for participating, especially those who did uh, send in their questions. Uh, thank you once again to Kelly Rambutsua Tlali, uh, CEO of Yaruna FM, Nick Grubb, Kakiso Media Chief Executive Radio, and Garayant Chris Williams, Prime Media Broadcasting Chairman and Group Chief Business Officer. Thank you so much. My name is Kemawisa. I just want to thank our sponsors once again for making this session possible. The Conrad Adenauer Stifting Media Program. Who have been a long term partner and sponsor. Without them, Radio Days Africa wouldn't happen. Thank you so much and goodbye. That was a Radio Days Africa audio amplified podcast brought to you by the Vitz Radio Academy. For more information and podcasts, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za.